Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Very excited to introduce to you today, Michelle Hearn. And Michelle Hearn's written her book called Dietitian's Dilemma. Hopefully, we can learn a little bit about it from her today. But I'll just ask her to introduce herself and tell us what she does and where are you from, Michelle? All right. Well, thank you so much. My name is uh, Michelle Hearn, and I am a registered and licensed dietitian. I'm also an ultra marathon runner. Um, currently, I live, you know, I'm in the United States. I live in Washington state. And yeah, I'm the author of the book, The Dietitian's Dilemma, which advocates for a low carb, high fat animal based diet uh, for several conditions, you know, diabetes, mental health disorders, eating disorders, sarcopenia and heart disease. It also talks about where the nutrition guidelines came from, which is a really bizarre story. <laughs> and then I talk about running, like how can you, um, how can you do endurance sports as a low carbohydrate athlete? So, you know, I'm a, I tr I'm a traditionally trained dietitian. So I, I was, uh, I was taught you need all these carbohydrates and quote unquote healthy whole grains. And, you know, now I see that that's really destroying the health, not only of, um, you know, the United States, but you know, the world, I'm sure in the UK, you guys have issues with diabetes and obesity and all that stuff. So. So yeah, so now I'm on a mission to advocate, you know, this way of eating and to continue to speak out and just, you know, help help anyone I can. So what got you into wanting to be a dietitian then in the first place? Yeah, so my backstory, um, I actually had a really serious eating disorder when I was much younger. So I also write about this in the book. When I was uh, 12, I was about five feet tall. Oh, no, we, we have different systems here. Let's see if I can do it in kilograms. Uh, I was five feet tall and about 57 pounds. So I think that would be about 23 kilos. I mean, very, very, you know, basically wasting away. And I ended up being hospitalized in an inpatient treatment center. I was given about a 10% chance to live. And that was actually my first interaction with a dietitian. And even as someone who was young and struggling with eating, you know, I was told like, you have to eat, you know, everything, you have to eat everything in moderation. And I suffered greatly. You know, I, I was put on seven different medications for stomach issues, anxiety, all kinds of things. And I just was told like, hey, you know what? You, you're always gonna be struggling with eating disorder thoughts. You're always gonna have these issues like your whole life. So even though I did obviously survive, I became weight restored. I suffered with anxiety and bouts of depression uh, throughout my life. And I found some solace and I became a distance runner and I had some success, but I, I constantly, you know, I followed that high carbohydrate diet and I became a dietitian because I wanted to, I wanted to help people. And I believe that, you know, the, the trick was blood sugar balance for every human. I was like, we can just teach people, but I still believed that, you know, you need these carbohydrates. It's like ingrained in you. Um, but when I went through the dietetic internship, which you have to, you know, in the, in the States to become a dietitian, you have to go through an internship. I started to see some things that didn't make sense. Like, for example, we'd have patients that had diabetes and I was taught like that you need to give them carbohydrates in consistent doses and then dose them with insulin. So I would just simply ask questions like, well, why don't, why don't we have them eat less carbohydrates? And I was like, no, 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 you can't do that. That, that won't work. That's not good. <laughs> and you know, you're a student. So you're like, okay. And then um, we would go to the ICU and I would look on the back of two feeding formulas. If you've ever been to a hospital or you've had a loved one who's been in an accident or, you know, they're not able to eat, they have an intravenous, um, an endogastric tube through their nose and the ingredients, I, I would ask my doc, my preceptor, say like, Hey, like, I noticed that these ingredients are maltodextrin, corn syrup, soy protein, canola oil. Like, should we, isn't there a better option for people who are <laughs> very ill that are in the ICU? And I was told like, hey, we're, it's just calories. It's just protein. Like you need to chill out. I was kind of uh, pegged as this difficult <laughs> student. Um, and so, you know, 
I was just like, okay, maybe, maybe I don't get it. Maybe this is, maybe this is how it's supposed to be. But as I became a dietitian, I just saw my patients get sicker and sicker, you know, following the guidelines. And I was just told by doctors, like, Hey, look, it's not that the guidelines are wrong. It's that patients aren't following them. And I started to become really disheartened, but you know, it actually wasn't until um, late 2019 that I lost my own health. Like I had a pretty a pretty serious health crisis that I made a big uh, nutrition and then obviously advocacy change. So how long was you a dietitian then? Was you was you a dietitian for a long time, giving out all the advice of uh, you know everybody needs carbohydrates, you you must follow the guidelines. Was you doing that for a long period of time then before you got to 2019 before you found a different way? I was, I also, um, for a while, I actually took like a management position and more of a supervisory role in, uh, in our, in the kitchen. So I was like, I gotta get out of here. Like this is just starting to break you. Um, but you know, I've done several, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to do several different positions as a dietitian. I've worked in, um, you know, acute care where I worked in like oncology or the neuromed surge. I've gotten to work in two different psychiatric hospitals. And you want to talk about very um, horrific feeding happens in the psychiatric hospitals. Like, and I write in my book that we average um, giving our psychiatric patients, the average is 42 teaspoons of sugar a day for our psychiatric patients. Um, yeah. And so once again, you know, I would, I would ask these questions and I would try to bring this up, but unfortunately, you know, you're, you're not allowed to talk. And I don't know if it's different in the state, I'm sorry, in the UK, but you're, you're not allowed to advocate anything other than the guidelines and yeah, so it is the similar thing over here in the uk yeah. you often find that dietitians and nutritionalists will just follow the the general eat well guide as it were you know whole grains and and yes. make sure you get plenty of fiber and all that kind of stuff carbohydrates are the are the bottom of the pyramid you know the pyramid scale the carbohydrates at the bottom make sure you get plenty of those and then it sort of filters out to protein at the top which we know is obviously the you know, should be the reverse and so, so it is kind of similar over here and they probably get, it's probably similar training as well. But I'd like to dive into this 2019 then. What actually the light bulb moment, what actually changed? Yeah, yeah. So let me tell you, I was, um, you know, I, here in the States, we have like the Boston Marathon, you know, and I, I've qualified for Boston um, 13 times, but I, I had, I really wanted to qualify for the Olympic trials. Like I wanted to run. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have ambitions of making it to the Olympics, but I wanted to, you know, you have to run under two hours and 45 minutes in a marathon. So that's a, you know, six, 17 minute pace. And so I was training really hard in 2019 and I had taken a job. I was working in Portland, Oregon at a um, acute care as an acute care dietitian. And I just suddenly noticed I wasn't recovering well from workouts. Like I was extra kind of achy and, you know, at first you're like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll try to stretch more, rest more, ice more. Um, but then I noticed I was kind of feeling dizzy and shaky during runs. I was um, not feeling well throughout the day. I wasn't sleeping well. And I was, I was kind of at a loss because I was like, you know, I have this huge goal and I had, I had been, I had ran a 254 marathon. So I was like, ah, oh, I really want to put it all out there and try to do this. And so I reached out, I reached out to a couple of friends, a couple of people I know who were sports dietitians. And they said, Hey, Michelle, like you're probably just not eating enough, eating enough carbohydrates. I said, are you sure I'm getting like 300 grams, sometimes 350 grams a day. And they're like, Oh, you need more. Oh, you're getting six times a day. You should be eating eight times a day. And you know, <laughs> long distance runners are, so I'm like, all right, I'm all in, let's do this. And things obviously got worse. I noticed, um, I was, I started to have panic attacks. I hadn't had those in years. I, uh, one day I was just so anxious. I couldn't go to work. 
And finally, the kind of end moment was I came home from work. Uh, I just had a really rough day at the hospital, you know, several, I had a patient pass away and I came home early and I literally like fell asleep. <laughs> I think it was like 5 p.m. I fell asleep, but I woke up at like two in the morning and it just felt like my muscles were on fire, like everything hurts. And I didn't know what to do. You know, at this point I had, you know, I had done what I thought I needed to do. I've been icing, stretching, eating. And so I'm walking around that, you know, my kitchen at two in the morning, what do I do, what do I do? And I decided like, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. So I drove to our local gas station. I got 20 pounds of ice, I put it in the bathtub. So it's now it's like thir three in the morning, I'm sitting in an ice bath crying. And uh, you know, my wife comes in and is like, you know, maybe we should do something different. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's it, I'm done. And no more running. I'm too old at that time point I was 36 I'm like this is a young person's game this is this is a 20s you know 25 year old game I'm done I'm never running again I'm tired because I was just I was broken I was physically exhausted mentally exhausted spiritually exhausted and I I just made peace that night like I'm, I'm no longer a distance runner this is it and so if I wasn't going to run you know that next day I said well I why not I just not eat so many carbohydrates like maybe try a ketogenic diet or something like that and my only goal was like, I just want to get enough protein. Maybe, maybe if I eat more protein, maybe my muscles will heal. And then I came across um, two things that changed my life. One, the carnivore diet. <laughs> I saw Sean Baker and the carnivore diet. And I was like, this is nuts. Like I can get behind eating meat, but all meat. But then I came across Zach Bitter, who is, you know, a, at that time, he was the world record holder in the hundred mile race. And he follows a very low carbohydrate diet. And I was kind of blown away. I was like, how can you be successful. Like, cause I, I knew that you could eat uh, low carbohydrates and run very slowly, but I'm like, you know, th this guy's doing 640 pace. Like you gotta be, that's amazing. Like, you know, breaking records. And so I decided, you know, I sent Zach an email. I was just curious, like, Hey, can you tell me more about this? And then I just decided, you know what, why not try like a carnivore type elimination diet just for 30 days? Like at that point I had nothing to lose. Like <laughs> I was literally in the bathtub at three in the morning, you know, and ice. Um, and so that was the time I, I, was, I decided to do that. And, <laughs> and, you know, I have a history, obviously, of an eating disorder and my, my, my partner wanted none of it. She was, she was very concerned that this way of eating was eating disordered. This is going to set you back. This is terrible. Uh, but yeah, I just had some strange intuition. Like, I think I need to do this. I think this makes sense to me. You know, I reached out to several people in the community um, and I was shocked. There's so many men and women. And I was, you know, they were so kind. They gave me information. I was like, Hey, my health is a mess. You look happy. I'm not happy. Um, gave me some information, pointed me in the right direction. And so I was like, all right, let's just give this a whirl and see how it goes. So at this point, then it, it, you've totally given up running. You've stopped altogether. All you're yeah. doing is just basically trying to concentrate on getting some new, better nutrition. Yeah, just, you know, and that was truly my only goal was like, you know what, let's take the next 30 days. Um, let's, let's just see, let's see if the extra protein heals. Let's see if I, because yeah, at that point, like I said, my anxiety was awful. I was hungry all the time. I was hurting all the time. You know, I'm taking way too much ibuprofen, to, you know, and I was, I was kind of scared. I was like, I don't, I don't know what else to do. And so I figured if I just took, took the running out, and then focused on, on protein. And that, my goal was only to do this for a very short period of time. I had, <laughs> I had zero intention of being a, a long-term low carbohydrate person. Yeah. It's great that you, that you even thought that though, and you even set that goal and thought, right, I'm going to do it for 30 days or, or four weeks, whatever you did, because 
lots of people think, oh, well, maybe I'll try a keto diet or maybe I'll try this diet, try that diet. And then they do it for a couple of days and think, no, that's not for me. So it's great yeah. that, you, they, that you did set that time, time span of 30 days because when we work with people in our reset community, I always say you need at least a minimum of four weeks, especially if, you, if you're trading as well. I, I wouldn't recommend training whilst you're doing something like that. And, and it's great to hear that you dropped the training on the head altogether because you were just concentrating purely on getting better, purely on helping your muscles, purely on recovery. So yes. by dropping the, the whether you, it was intentional or not at the time, by dropping, stopping running, you probably went through like what was more known as a reset period quicker. So tell us about how your body began to start to feel after a week, two weeks. <laughs> well, and here's the, here's the funny thing too. And I think you made a really good point. If you do a ketogenic, if you're a very high carbohydrate human, which most humans are, I mean, we just eat, it's, 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 very, it's so sad. I mean, as a nation, as a world, we're just being crippled by all these carbohydrates. But uh, the first week is not fun. <laughs> I, I noticed uh, in, you know, I'm, I'm having, I had a really, really bad headache by the third or fourth day because I didn't know if I could redo it, I would have made sure I had a lot of electrolytes and a much more fluid. But I noticed at first, like the first few days, I did not feel good. You know, I was like, uh, so I'm so glad that I didn't give up, you know, um, and because I even reached out to somebody and said, look, I, am I doing this right? I feel awful. And they're like, no, you kind of got to get through that initial period. You know, it's going to take a minute because your body is just switching. You know, you're all you're so used to burning carbs. So now you're going to have be having to burn fat. So I was like, all right. But actually, within a week, I noticed that my energy was more stable. I actually and my muscles weren't hurting. Um, and I kind of but I kind of thought like, oh, I'm not running. So, of course, a week I, I'm you know not running. But then when I was, I was still in the, um, you know, working as a dietitian, <laughs> and it's kind of funny because, you know, you're in the office in the morning and everybody's eating their bagels and bananas. And I'm here with this like pound of ground beef and they're like, oh, that's different, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'll never forget. We were at a meeting and one of my dietitian coworkers was kind of like shaky and was like, oh, I, I got to get a snack. Like I'm, this meeting's going on too long. Do you need something? And I said, oh, you know, I said, I'm fine. I'll, I'm going to eat lunch around noon. And she's like, Michelle, it's almost two. And I was, that would have never happened in my high carb days. Like I had to eat every two to three hours or I was shaky. I was irritable. You know, I was constantly eating. Um, and I also noticed, like, I just felt more calm. I was able to deal with uh, difficult patient cases easier. Um, yeah. By the second week, it was just, it was really interesting, you know, and for somebody like myself who has been running for, you know, since I was 14, you know, the world didn't end. <laughs> I stopped running and I also wasn't worrying about it or obsessing about it, but kind of a big pivotal moment happened on the third week. I came home from work and my wife had gotten home early that day. And she said, can you, can you come sit with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. What's going on? And she said, you know, I'm not sure I like this carnivore way of eating yet, but this is the best your anxiety has been in the 11 years I've known you three weeks. And at that point we both were like, what is this? And that kind of led us down a massive rabbit hole of research and studies and reaching out to so many low carbohydrate experts. You know, I've been so lucky to um, get to meet with and interview uh, people like Dr. Eric Westman, Dr. Chris Palmer, um, you know, Ben Vickman, and just a lot of the, you know, the bigger names in the low carb community and just pick their brains, get their research, ask them what's going on. And it became very clear to me that pretty much everything I had been taught as a dietitian was completely backwards. Yeah, it's so, so 
unfortunate that what you actually get taught, and it's like, say it's similar in the UK, what you actually get taught as dietitians and nutritionalists, I went through um, exercise, sports and science and the nutrition aspect of all that. And within that, there's nothing to suggest anything low carb is any going to be any good for you. All the research I've done has been by myself. Nobody's taught me it's the same as yourself. And it's so unfortunate that we all have to go out there and all have to find it. All have to pick other people's brains about what's right and what's this and, and what's this bioavailability and what's this nutrient density and really put it, start to stitch it all together because like you say, it just doesn't get taught. It's not, it's not out there in the mainstream for people to learn. How then, when you got to your 30 days, did you think, I'm going to carry this on? I want to learn more. Oh, yeah. It was, I, I couldn't believe how, how much better I felt, you know? And I couldn't believe how, um, just I, if anybody's listening to this, has dealt with um, severe anxiety, depression, panic attacks, and even, you know, as someone who had anorexia as a, as a very young person, still having like racing thoughts around food, you know, should I eat this? Should I not? That all just like disappeared. Like I can't even, it almost sounds cheesy to like say it out loud, you know? Um, but I, I felt like a new person. Like I was just excited. Like I was kind of excited with life. Like I, the possibilities seemed, well, it was two things. I was really happy and excited but I was also angry because now I'm like, okay, I'm in this job where I have to give advice that's hurting people, you know? So, um, yeah. And so of course, you know, my, my wife who originally was like, this is terrible. You're, I don't want you doing this was now all on board and she's doing, you know, a type of the carnivore diet. And, um, what happened around that time, I think it was the fourth or fifth week. I, I was, I was just home more because I wasn't, I wasn't running yet, you know? And, um, my wife has, uh, she likes solitude. She likes reading time. So she just casually like said like, Hey, you're, you're bothering me. You have all this energy. Like, why don't you go run? And I hadn't run at all in a while. And I had kind of made peace with like, okay, I'm no longer a runner. And so I was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. Can I, can I run? And then I was just like, you know what? I need to drop the ego. Like who cares if I can't run long distance anymore? I'm just going to go run a few miles. Like it's good for you. It's good for your heart. And so I put on my running shoes and I just, you know, I had at that time I was still zero carb. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go jog around the block. And I just, I felt so good. I went like eight miles, you know, like, like an hour running. And when I came back, I was like, oh my God, you know, just, can you run low carb? Um, <laughs> and so of course, you know, my, my wife was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like you can be a recreational runner and um, you know, this will, it'll be fun. And of course, you know, the wheel started spinning in my head, like, what could I do with this? Could I, could I take this to the next level? So that's when I reached out to Zach again, Zach Bitter, and was like, what do you think of coaching me? Um, and so then I presented the idea like, okay, instead of running marathons, you know, how about I run ultra marathons? <laughs> so not that you was getting carried away or anything, but <laughs> exactly. started, started to pick up your running again. And then the cogs started turning. You're thinking, well, if I can do this low carb, then how far can I go? How much can I push it? Do I even yeah. need carbohydrates? Don't need carbohydrates. All those cogs in your head started to turn. It's great to see that you've been, you've started at the bottom with this and you've built it up and up and up and found out more as you've been going. Now, just before we get into the, the running uh, aspects of it, we'll talk about it and we'll talk about how, how you went through there. But just before we do, when you figured out this at the end of four weeks, was you then still in your day job as a dietitian and, and, and was you still giving nutritional advice to people that you was disagreeing with and were you able to change the way you was giving 
nutritional advice over what you've just experienced or was it a case of just having to bite your tongue? Uh, let, so yeah, so I was still in the, um, in the, in working in the hospital. And of course, you know, when, when you're working in a hospital institution, you in the States, we have access to a lot of articles. So, you know, I went through and I printed out all this stuff and I brought it to my supervisors and said, look at this, look at this. How can we talk about this? Can we teach this? And I was just kind of, I was immediately shut down said, no, no, you cannot teach this. Keep doing what you're doing. It's fine. And so um, <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny that I went into patients' rooms and said, hey, look, this is what I have to tell you. But if you're interested, I could tell you something else. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't, uh, I wasn't in the hospital a whole lot longer after, after regaining my health, so. Yeah, that's uh, so unfortunate that, that that happened that way. But uh, it's so unfortunate that you got shut down at every corner because you would think that people in that sort of profession would be open to anything different, would be open to change. But I suppose it's what goes on in the background more than what goes on in the foreground some of the times. Uh, who's funding uh, a lot of the things in the background? Potentially. Uh, you know, it is. Sad. It's really sad. We, you know, certainly here in, in America, we're we're a capitalist society you know, and uh, healing people is not a sustainable business model because think of it, you know, if I, if I heal you, I lose you as a customer. If you're, if you're no longer diabetic and I don't sell you insulin and you're not having, you know, you're losing your feet from amputations, you're not having surgery, you're not going blind, then um, I, I lose this money. So I can't heal you, but I can't kill you either. I can't, I mean, if you're dead, then you're also don't need my services. So the only way for you, for me to make money is to keep you perpetually sick. And it's, I mean, it's, it's sad. And I, I am certainly, and I've said this many times, no healthcare professional goes into healthcare thinking like, I'm going to keep people sick, <laughs> you know, but that's just, that's how our system has evolved. And, you know, there's a reason that the Academy of Nutrition, which is the governing board of all dietitians in the United States, there's a reason that they're sponsored by the National Confectionery Association, by Candy, by General Mills, by Kellogg's, you know, because, they get funding from those things. They help write the guidelines and we're just going to perpetually keep people sick. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people don't know that it's, it's good to bring it to the fore and just to say, open your eyes, just see what's happening there. You know, you, you, people will know when they go to their, their doctor, the first thing they try and do is get them on medication. Surely the first question should be about your lifestyle, about your nutrition, about what's going on in your own life. Not here you go, take this, have this, this will be better for you. So it's something for people to take away and, and to think about. And, and like, like we've done and like a lot of people have done, go out there, make your own research. Think about, is there potentially other things I can do? What else? Is, is there other studies out there? Is there people that are like me out there? What have they done? Similar to, to yourself. That's, that's the, the great path you went down. So it's good to hear that. Yeah, one of diabetes is one of the most frustrating things for me because I had, I had patients that had type 2 diabetes that had had it for 20, 30 years. I saw more amputations than I care to remember. And we have studies, we have clinical trials. I cite several in my book that you can reverse diabetes in weeks, not months, not years, weeks. When we put you on a low carbohydrate diet, we can resensitize your cells. But that's just, you know, what we do, the, this current standard of practice is just to give you carbohydrates and give you insulin and metformin. And that is guaranteed. I've never seen somebody get better with that regimen. No, no, that's right. So, uh, right then, let's touch on a bit of your running. Let's go back to that because <laughs> I know <laughs> I work with a lot of athletes, and I know everybody's going to be tuned into this bit about sure. can can you run ultra marathons on low carb? That's basically what we want to know. And what were the steps that you 
that, that you took. You said that you got in touch with Zach Bidder, who helped you along the way. Yeah. Did, so I'm presuming you started, you said you started with no cab, zero cab altogether. And then was you initially picking up the training as in uh, low intensity, making sure you wasn't exerting yourself, not doing much high intensity work at all, simply because you was on low carb or was you just determined to say, right, no <laughs> carbohydrates. I'm going to go as far as I can, as fast as I can. Uh, those are great questions. So at first, I mean, and Zach was great. He was very honest. He said, Hey, look, you know, it, to become fat adapted, fully fat adapted, it takes a while. It takes, you know, months after six months, you're going to be better after next year. It's, you're going to be even more fat adapted, but this is a process. So I would tell anybody that too, like it, you have to be patient. And so for the first few months, it was low mileage, low intensity. And, um, yeah, it was a little interesting because even though I felt, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good during my runs, I was going at a relatively slow pace, you know, certainly slower than I was used to doing for marathon training. And then as we picked up in the paces and intensity and started incorporating some workouts, that's when it was like, okay, this is when we want to start adding back some carbohydrates. This is when we want to find a baseline of carbohydrates. Um, because you know, what I know and what I understand is that, you know, your muscles can certainly make glucose from protein, you know, it's called gluconeogenesis, but you also protein has a lot of really, really important functions in the body. So if I wasn't a runner, I would probably be very close to zero carb most of the time, but because I am a runner and because I'm burning a lot of, you know, certainly, um, my own body fat, but also some glucose, I want to make sure that, you know, all the protein I'm taking in does all of its other functions too. And so that's when we established a baseline of carbohydrates. And for, I would say when I was running 40 miles or less a week, about 50 grams of carbohydrates was fine. You know, I would have usually some berries or something um, with my first meal at night, sometimes a little bit of carbohydrates in the evening as well. And that was great. I was very happy and feeling wonderful at 50 grams of carbs. I was doing my runs fasted, you know, I was able to run 20 plus miles fasted, which is water and electrolytes. Then as our training got even higher, you know, we're peaking around 80 miles uh, a week doing those really long runs. I would notice that like, I wasn't feeling quite as great. And so that's when we just, we upped the dose said, okay, you know, how about we, we're going to have a stronger baseline. And then for some of our, um, really long runs, we'll add back in some carbohydrates. So my baseline right now is between about hundred grams of carbohydrate, hundred and 125 a day. And then, you know, when we're practicing for a race, like my next ultra, or my ultra marathon, my 50 mile race is November 13th. So we've started to, to practice, but before, you know, I used to have, oh God, like a goo or gel or something every like 30 minutes or 40 minutes. So now because I'm really fat adapted, I'm able to take in quite a bit less carbohydrates. So, you know, I probably do about 20 grams an hour. Um, yeah. And which is great because, you know, obviously the less you have to do, the less risk of GI distress and all that other stuff, um, you know, because I just oxidize so much more fat, even at faster paces. So, so yeah, so it's been, it's been great. You know, I don't, probably the biggest mistakes I see a lot of runners do is they have, um, they have carbohydrates like right before they run. It's like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to run in an hour. I'm having a granola bar. Well, what does that do? As soon as you have those carbohydrates, you get an insulin response. Insulin shuts down your body's ability to burn fat right away. Like if you, if you have weight to lose, that's a nightmare. You're no longer burning fat. If you just want steady, consistent energy, you need to be able to pull from fat because you're going to, if you're running any more than an hour, you're going to have to start refueling with carbohydrates. So I'm very careful to not use carbohydrates right before. 
And, um, you know, obviously I can practice without them, but then when we get closer to race intensity, I wait till about 40, 50 minutes to start dosing with carbohydrates. Yeah, that's interesting. So now I'm picking up from there than that you, you do actually cycle your carbs with your training as well, which is great, yes. which is something that I advocate for everybody to do. And you mentioned in there that we're always burning both systems, whatever we're doing, we, we're, we're never completely burning just fat and we're never completely burning just carbohydrates. We're always burning a mixture of the two. And if we get in a depleted state, like you mentioned earlier on with gluconeogenesis, I've, I've mentioned gluconeogenesis before, and I think it's something that we don't really need to be looking too deep into. Lots of people in the keto world fear protein because of this, but it's really your backup system. It's when all else fails, your diet, your body wants to then dive into the protein to, to make glucose so that it can fire. But we never want to get to that state, not as athletes. We never want to be there. And the general person will find it very, very difficult to, to be in that state anyway, especially even if, especially if they're on a high fat ketogenic diet um, or even if they're on a real food diet. Sorry, carry on. Oh, no, I was just saying, and I, I, I do not fear protein at all. I, I've just, you know, for endurance athletes, um, I talk about this. I, I feel like we, uh, I feel like in the general, the population under eats protein, you know, we over, we massively over eat carbohydrates and under eat protein. And that's something that really changed my health, um, was eating a lot of protein. You know, um, I kind of joke that I think the world health organization says you should have like two ounces or something ridiculous a day, you know? Um, I, I mean, I probably eat at least a pound and a half of beef a day, you know, so quite a bit. And, and I mean, and that's probably a little bit higher ratios, you know, than like a, a true ketogenic diet. I do make sure I get enough fat, but yeah, I, I think protein is incredibly important, especially post, um, you know, your post-workout meal. And then, you know, before you go to sleep at night. Yeah, definitely. I always say prioritize your protein. And you mentioned there when you was talking about being on 120 grams, 150 grams of, of carbohydrates when you're training high intensity, when you're working towards race. Now that is still very, very low compared to somebody on a processed food diet. Who's like you mentioned before, somebody who is potentially an athlete training on three, 400 grams of carbohydrates a day, 120 grams doesn't seem like a lot, but is it's ample for your body because you mentioned there when you was talking about how your body can oxidize fat better and what what actually happens is once you become fat adapted your body then is more efficient at pulling on that fat for energy and it actually keeps it closer to the muscle so it's easier to use it doesn't have to go through such a process as uh, it, people say it's a slow burning process to burn fat, but once you actually get fat adapted, your body can keep the fat near your muscles so it can get it there quicker. That's how, that's how fat adaption uh, happens. But once you've done that, then you can push your threshold higher with your carbohydrates so that you don't need as much. So let's, let's say, for example, somebody who's starting off in athletics, you see them all there with their belts on, full of gels, you know, starting the marathon, they've got a weighed down, they've probably got an extra one, two kilos worth of, of gels and packs and chews on their belt there. Somebody starting off like that is a pure carb burner, and they will hardly be able to touch any of their fat stores at all. They'll be burning carbohydrates through the race, and they better make sure they keep on top of the carbohydrates because when they run out, which inevitably they will, they'll just bonk. And everybody who's been an athlete at some point will know what the bonking feels like. It's you've run out of carbs and you're unable to pull on your body fat. Now, when you do become a fat burner like yourself uh, and you turn it, you, you do the go through the process, like you say, sometimes it takes people a lot longer. Sometimes I've, I've seen people take up to a year to become how they want to become to be fat burners. Once you do 
become a, a fat burner. I do fat burner in air quotes because, like I said earlier, we, we burn a mixture of systems. And once you do get there, then you are, you are predominantly burning body fat for your fuel. Yes, you need carbohydrates, like you mentioned, but predominantly you are on the fuel train. You are burning fat more effectively and more often than you're burning the carbohydrates. So somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to run a marathon. Do I need carbohydrates? And I said, yes. And they looked at me all quizzical and said, but you advocate the low carb lifestyle. I said, yes, I do advocate a low carb lifestyle. If you're not running, if you're doing low intensity exercise, yes, I do. But once you start burning that body fat, then you need to have the mixture of fat and carbohydrates, especially if you're pushing it up to high intensity. Maybe you could run us through a little bit of your training when you're leading up to, let's say, an ultra run or something. Run us through your training, how your training matches along with your nutrition. So if you're starting with low intensity, then your nutrition may be different to when you start pushing it, let's say, four weeks, six weeks out, when you start adding in that high intensity to get that speed into what you need. Yeah. And you said that really, really well. I, I appreciate that explanation. And real quick, I just, you know, when you're talking about that runner that's out there with all those gels, um, you know, I, I, I used to work with a lot of people who were running marathons and couldn't lose weight, you know, which it's like, how can you not lose weight when you're running all these miles and you nailed it because you're not burning fat, you're just burning sugar. So yeah, so my training, um, you know, when we're starting out at lower intensity, it will be we kind of do an intensity scale, well, it'll be like, runs are two to three, like on a scale of one to 10, then you'll have like four to five, you know, certainly like six to seven. And so, you know, I use a product before I run, it's called S fuels. That's the company S fuels. And it's the product is called train. So it is just a little bit of coconut oil, collagen, electrolytes, glutamine. And so that is something that, you know, I, I will take before I run, but yeah, my running is uh, relatively easy You know, we'll do an hour to 90 minutes, just really easy pace. You know, I'm keeping my heart rate relatively low about 130. Um, most, mostly that Well, you know, we might throw in some strides running on the, on the weekend, some of our longer runs, maybe, you know, two and a half, three hours max. And that, you know, at that point, I'm very happy with my, you know, 50 grams or less of carbohydrates. And like I said, I'll tend to have some like berries after, after the race, you know, probably about, or after the run about 25 grams in the evening, I may have a small slice of, we do like a long fermented sourdough. And other than that, it's just <laughs> a lot of beef and butter and oils and things. Um, yeah. And when the intensity picks up, you know, we do quite a few, um, kind of shorter intervals, which is, you know, I always joke with Zach because it's like, man, I can run three or four hours and feel great, but you give me like, you know, eight by three minutes <laughs> fast and I'm, it's hard. Um, and there they'll be at all, you know, they'll be closer at like all out efforts. Like, and so obviously that's, you know, just as fast as you can go for those three minutes. And then those are when I feel like, okay, now I'm, now I'm needing a little bit more carbohydrates specifically on those days. And then, you know, as our training really peaks, we'll do, um, like for example, my long runs, like I had a long run that was four hours easy. And then the next day you're supposed to come back and run two hours faster. So I ran like 30 miles on Saturday and then 16 miles on Sunday, which, you know, in my high carb days, if you ran a marathon, 26 miles, I couldn't walk for like weeks. So being able to recover, that's another huge benefit of this way of eating, being able to bounce back so much more quickly. Um, yeah. And so, and then, and then, we'll, then we do longer intervals, like, as opposed to like all out intervals, we do like longer, like 10 to 15 minutes at like a, a six to seven, 
And then we'll throw in some tempo runs, like 30 minutes at like a six to seven. And those are the times when I, um, when I, I'm like, all right, this is when we need to add a little bit more. Cause I tried being just, you know, hundred grams of carbs or during that period. And then often I'm like, okay, we're going to go up a little bit, 125. Uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's very, it's relatively simple. It's relatively straightforward. I, I usually take one day off. Um, sometimes weekly, at least every other week, I'll take a day off from running and just, it's kind of nice physical mental break. So yeah. Yeah. I like the way you put it. You put it so well, because you always say throughout that, that you listen to your body and you listen to what's going on because many people get a little bit dogmatic and they're like, no, it's 50 grams of carbs a day. And that's it. But if you're doing putting in exercise, you're putting in harder work, it doesn't necessarily have to be exercise, could be stress, could be a harder work day, could be anything. And it's so important to listen to your body. And if you need more than the 50 grams of carbohydrates a day, then, then take it in. You will feel a lot better. I mean, like, like I've said a lot of times on this uh, podcast before, real food carbohydrates are not to be feared. We always try and get you away from the process and the refined carbohydrates. They're the ones that cause the majority of the problems. But real food carbohydrates, like you mentioned, the sourdough and the berries and the sweet potatoes, they're all the things that will help you supplement uh, uh, prioritized protein nutrition, if you will. So it's great to, to think, how do I feel? Do I feel fatigued? Is my body starting to ache? If it is, then perhaps you need to add in those little bits just to supplement the protein that you have in. And as well, do you time your carbohydrates? So what I mean by timing the carbohydrates is it's a big thing that I've started to do now is like you mentioned earlier, people will still carb load. Uh, it's a big thing within athletics, within running, within cycling, within triathlons that I do. Um, they say, oh, you must carb load the night before. You've got to make sure all your glycogen stores are full. Um, but I really try and put that down to training and fill my glycogen stores through training rather than through nutrition. Yes, you need a little bit, but carb loading for me is something of the past. I'd like to teach it to others and say that potentially we should be protein loading, not carb loading. So when I'm talking about timed carbohydrates, I mean after workouts. <laughs> Yeah. You know, when I, when I was a high carbohydrate athlete, um, I would finish a workout or a long run and just feel wiped out, like almost sick, you know? And so I, I always was having a fast acting carbohydrate right after I ran and then certainly like trying to eat really quickly, you know, but now it's actually, it's really nice. I have, I've found that, um, you know, I, if, if I'm not doing an, a really intense run, like if I'm just doing an hour easy or even a couple hours easy, I'm not really worried about it. I'm not super stressed. You know, I'm going to get home, shower, um, certainly get some fluids, but I'm not overly worried about like, oh my God, I have to get these carbohydrates right now. You know, um, certainly like if I have a really like long back-to-back -back workout, like that four hour, two hour, like four hours, one day, two hours the next day, then I'm going to be a little bit more cognizant. Like, all right, let's make sure we start this carb, especially since I'm trying to get a little bit higher volume. But if you're only getting 50 through the day, you know, I, I will prioritize it for that first meal. But um, I don't, it's not like, oh my God, it's 15 minutes. I have to, you know, get it. I feel like if as long as you have it within the next hour or so, you're probably fine. Yeah, that's great. So your body will take care of itself if you let it, if you feel it out and make sure you listen to it. Like you say, um, listen to all the signals it's giving you and prioritize that protein. Once you prioritize your protein, I find you get a lot more satiated anyway. So then you don't crave the carbohydrates even, even after. If you've protein loaded before a workout and it's just a bog standard mediocre workout, not, not anything high tense, then you tend to find that afterwards you maybe don't even want to eat or you can wait until dinner time in the evening or you can just uh, not have that big, let's say, 
pizza or whatever it is that lots of people crave after they've done a marathon, half marathon, anything like that. So that's great. And I love the way that you put it out there and loads of people can learn lots from that. But let's, let's take it back to somebody who's not a training, an athlete who's not a training or, or um, just a general person who walks a dog around the block, because there's plenty of people out there who, who can't relate to athletics, can't relate to ultra marathon running. And I, I still say to those people that you still need to prioritize your protein. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean I, I have to eat more chai seeds? I have to um, <laughs> eat more peas, pea protein, you know? And I know there's a bit in your book where you talk about animal uh, versus plants. And the big agenda that's going around at the moment, especially in the UK, is they're the pushing plant protein, they're pushing plants, they're saying everybody needs more plant nutrition in their daily lives and i just want to get across to people that the meat um meat is not bad meat is where the nutrition is yes there is there you know what and you have to ask like what what is the agenda here i i have very strong opinions on plant-based proteins um and, and most of the time if you look at like who's behind it follow the money but let's talk about this like what why, why are animal proteins and animal foods so much better than plant foods like you, like you said the word earlier, bioavailability. We don't teach this in nutrition. And I think this has caused a lot of confusion for people. What is bioavailability? That means what nutrition can my body actually use? And bioavailability is species specific, meaning just because a cow can eat grass and live and thrive, that does not mean a human can eat plants and live and thrive. And let's, so I like to use the example of iron. You know, if you take a steak versus let's say spinach and people, you know, as a dietitian, we, we just tell people like, oh yeah, it's non-heme iron, but it's still good for you, spinach. Well, here's the thing. Let's say one cup of spinach has like five milligrams of iron. Your body can only absorb 1.7% of that. So that would be the equivalent. What if I wrote you a check for a thousand dollars and you're like, whoa, cool, a thousand dollars. Thanks, Michelle. And you go and cash it. And they're like, hey, she only has $17 in her bank account. And you're like, oh, what the hell? You know, it doesn't matter how much the check says. It matters if you can access the funds. And that's what plant protein is. It doesn't matter that it says it has this much. It doesn't matter that this pea protein is 20 grams. What matters is what can my body absorb and use? Plant proteins are not well absorbed and they're not well utilized. You know, they have a lot of things. They have a lot of things called anti-nutrients. You know, what are anti-nutrients? They actually block the absorption. I share in my book, I was severely anemic. You know, anemia is actually one of them. Our iron deficiency anemia is the top um, mineral deficiency worldwide. And, you know, even when I was a high carb athlete, I still ate meat, but I was eating so much oats and nuts, you know, things that have phytic acid that actually bind with iron and calcium. So my body wasn't absorbing it well. So when it comes to meat, you know, that it is so well absorbed and people hear meat and they think like, oh, well, it's just protein. No, it's not. It's iron. It's B12. It's thiamine. It's carnitine. It's carnosine. It's all the key factors and it's absorbed perfectly, you know, throughout evolution. You know, and this is where we stop. <laughs> this is where a lot of humans stop having common sense. We ate meat and fat throughout evolution and had zero heart disease, zero cancer, zero diabetes, Meat is not the problem, and it never has been. We add in processed carbohydrates, Pop-Tarts, chips, bread, you know, processed breads, and every chronic disease goes through the roof. So, yeah, I get really, <laughs> you're really amped up with, you know, the, this, this vegan vegetarian movement. And I'm certainly, like, like you said, I'm not anti-carbohydrate. I'm not anti-plant. 
but humans were designed um, to eat and thrive off animal-based foods. And often what we see, and I've seen this my entire time in the hospital, is especially for women, it's a nightmare. It will mess, you know, here, well, the problem is if you go vegan from a very processed diet, you're gonna feel better initially. You know, if you're no longer eating donuts and you're eating apples, but over time, your body needs that protein. Over time, you're gonna start to have problems with hormones, problems with bone density, um, all kinds of different issues. Certainly, you know, there, there is no B12 in the plant kingdom. It just isn't, sorry, you know, there is no um, EPA or DHA. And yes, you can, um, you can make some, yeah, I, mean, I think it's EPA from ALA from like Chia, but it's, it's very poorly absorbed. The conversion rate is zero to 9%. So, you know, it's in my opinion and well, my opinion, my clinical experience and my research, which I cite a lot in the book, that is one of my most cited chapters is plants versus animals. Um, it's a really bad idea to invest in plant protein, you know? <laughs> eat your meat <laughs> yeah it's, it's great to see you as passionate as i am about the particular subject because it, like you say it just winds me up when people say but these plants have such and such of vitamins in them they have so many minerals they have but it's not about what the plant has in it it's about what you can pull from it and exactly. a lot of plants a lot of um different kinds of things that people are pushing on you now even such things like synthetic vitamins and minerals that you, you get in a pill form oh yes it's got 10,000 milligrams in there of vitamin a let's say um but our body struggles so hard to convert vitamin a even from something like a carrot uh, it's not in its real form we have to then convert it into a form that we can use which is retinol which we get from meat <laughs> so so let's get it straight from the source instead of causing our body the problem of having to transfer transfer into what we can actually use and losing some of its effectiveness in the process. And there's so many like that out there in the plant kingdom. I'm not saying I'm the same as you. I'm not saying don't eat plants. They're absolutely great. They do offer some benefit to people and some people can get more from plants than other people. Some people are better at doing the bio available. Uh, some people can absorb it a lot better than, than other people. But more often than not, the things in plants block what you could be getting from your meat. Because that's another thing that I wanted to say is a lot of people I work with say, oh, yeah, I already eat meat, so I'm OK. And I'll say, yeah, OK, you, you maybe do eat, eat meat, but what else have you got in your nutrition? It's not always about what you can actually add into your nutrition. It's often about what you can take out. So if you're, put, if you're eating a lot of meat, if, you're eating, if you are eating a lot of bio available produce but then you're also eating a lot of let's say oats or a lot of leafy green vegetables things with a lot of oxalates in them then they can actually block the absorption that you want from the vitamins and minerals out of the meat absolutely i mean you said that perfectly it's a uh, and it's something like i said it's not something that we we teach people so it's really confusing you know everybody thinks that all fruits and vegetables are universally good for you and you know, like you said, we, we have lots of evidence that throughout history, people did eat plants, people ate small, you know, uh, tubers, but they, they look nothing like the plants today, you know, they, uh, and it was rare, because they, they were really small, they were bitter, they were non starchy, you know, people, most, most of the nutrition that humans got was from um, animal meat and fat, just because it was very calorie dense and vitamin and mineral dense. And, you know, you, vitamin A is a great one. You know, 45% of the population can actually not convert um, the vitamin A that is in like plants like carrots to an actual usable form of vitamin A. And so if you're someone listening to this that struggles with, you have severe acne, um, 
your muscles aren't healing very well, you know, you might be one of those people. Now, I used to have terrible acne. It was really frustrating. And I started when I started eating liver, which is a very high source of vitamin A, it went away. So I believe I'm probably one of those people that doesn't um, just doesn't convert vitamin A very well. So to me, it makes the most sense. Like, I feel like all the evidence says that, you know, meat and fat should be the base of our diet. And then we should have some plants as tolerated that your body, you know, you don't have any reaction to. That's great. And it's the top of the tree that I want everybody to get to. I have mentioned it before on this podcast, but it's worth mentioning again, the fact that I'm not against veganism or veg vegetarianism. I think it's just a step on the ladder. What it is, is at the bottom there, in, in, in my mind, what we've got is a ladder. Let's let's imagine a ladder. And at the bottom there, you've got the, all that processed food, all that junk that a lot of people are eating. Let's get you off that to start with. Let's try and limit as much of that processed food in your nutrition as you can. If you want to take a turn and go up to eating more vegetables, that's great. It's adding more real food into your nutrition. It's a step on the ladder. It's a step on the ladder. Maybe let's call it veganism. And then vegetarianism, another step on the ladder. Add in a little bit more animal produce like eggs and fish. Let's go ovo-lacto. And then let's go a bit further. Let's start adding in meat. Let's start becoming animal-based. Let's start towards the top of that tree, towards the top of that ladder. Let's start thriving on nutrition. Let's be animal-based, prioritizing protein and sprinkling in those carbohydrates. So that's what I want everybody to, to get out of this. Whether you're an athlete or whether you are just your bog-standard office worker, it'll benefit no end if you start to climb that ladder of nutrition. And hopefully we've helped people out of that today. I don't know if you want to add any more to that. Yeah, well, and I also just really quick want to say that you know, when I've had people tell me like, look, I'm, you know, I'm a, I want to be a vegan because I'm, I care about the climate and I care about animals, but we have to be really careful because a vegan diet is not a bloodless diet. You know, we have statistical evidence that I think it's about 8.7 billion animals die um, for vegan crops and monocrops. So <laughs> you may not be eating a nutrient dense animal, but when we're, you know, harvesting your soy and your kale, um, we're going to kill lots of rabbits and gophers and other things. And when it comes to the planet health, we, we have so much evidence. Diana Rogers has written a great book and I talk about it briefly um, in my book that regenerative farming is the way to go. You know, we need animal, we need plants and animals, you know, we need to, animals should be raised in a way where they are able to graze, where they are able to, you know, they have their manure, we have the rain, we have all these different cycles. And that's actually what we know sequesters carbon into the ground. That is, that is how, that is how things work before we went and messed it up with a lot of industrial, um, you know, agriculture. So, you know, a great, if you really are concerned for the planet, you know, do some research on regenerative farming. You know, we actually, I'm fortunate, I live in a place about 90 minutes away, there is a regenerative farm. So we buy, you know, a very large, we buy about hundred pounds of meat at a time, um, you know, for the cow, cow share. So supporting a local farmer is, is really the way to go. You know, um, monocrop, monocropping uh, soy and kale is pretty devastating to the, the environment. Yeah, I'm pleased you brought that up because that's a great thing to say. It's it's not a bloodless diet. Uh, everything has to die in order for a, another species to be able to eat, and that is that is us as well. It's not a field just doesn't grow by itself. It has to be churned over. It has to be farmed. It has to be sprayed. So think about all the things you destroy and all the habitats you destroy, and just just to make some corn, for example. So yeah, that's great. And also you touched on the the way animals are raised because we know there's lots of feedlots and there's lots of different kind of ways to that they've 
generally packed in animals to get the most out of them and fed them a rubbish species diet to Aussies, animals like chicken and, and pork are ones that we do a lot in this country. Uh, and you've got to think about what the animals eating, especially monogastric animals like chicken and, and pork, what they're eating, you're also eating. So if they're living their lives in the wild, if they're being farmed properly, then you're getting the best from their nutrition as well. And you're getting more nutrients and it's a more nutrient dense way of eating because you're eating what they're eating. If they're just fed corn, for example, you're just getting corn. So although you're eating the meat, think about what's the meat eating as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And that just, that's, you have to be an intelligent consumer. You know, it really makes sense if you're, if you're able to in your area. Um, yeah. See if you can get online. Can you go to a farm? Can you go to a, we have like farmer's markets, talk to the people because you can even see it like in eggs, you know, you can see the yolk of, um, you know, we raise chickens is, is very, when they eat the bugs and worms and they get to like free range, it's much more um, golden and orange than it is from like a, you know, conventional chicken. That's brilliant. We touched on loads today, loads more than I thought I would. I don't want to take <laughs> up all of your time or today. It's a great day. So let's tell people where they can find you and follow along with you and, and buy your book. Sounds brilliant. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. So my book is on Amazon. Um, we have a paperback copy, an ebook and an audio version. So if you like to just listen to like podcasts, it's an, on Audible. Um, and yeah, just the dietitian's dilemma. And then you can follow me on Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram at run, eat, meet, repeat. That is uh, <laughs> all one word. I'm on Twitter at Michelle Hearn, R-D, and it's H-U-R-N-R-D. And then I've just got back on Facebook. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'll get more active on Facebook. But if you look up Michelle Hearn, you'll find me on there. That's great. Thanks for your time today, Michelle. It's been brilliant. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, there you go. Lots to take away from that one, especially if you're an athlete, trying out low carb, seeing if it works for you and think about marrying your training alongside your nutrition. Really, if you're doing high intense things, you still need those carbohydrates. Remember that low carb works for low intensity. But if you keep at it, you will make sure that your fat oxidization threshold goes higher and higher so like michelle says she only now needs even in a high intense situation she only needs 20 grams of carbohydrates per hour to sustain her through an ultra marathon and i can speak from experience myself as well i recently just did my own marathon and i take i, I actually took in around about 30 grams of carbohydrates per hour which is absolutely nothing compared to the people around me who were chugging back the gels and the energy drinks. So not only is burning body fat more effective and more efficient in the long run, it also helps you to not have to take in so much nutrition during a race. And obviously, when I talk about carbohydrates, you know I'm talking about real food carbohydrates. Not the processed gels, not the processed bars. We're talking about dates, about fruits, about making your own energy balls, about almonds, nuts, things like that. All that type of energy is from real food carbohydrates. But like we said there at the end, even if you are not an athlete, if you are not training, focus on that protein. Focus on those animal produce. That's where the nutrition is. That's where the nutrient density is. And that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck with all your vitamins and all your minerals is animal produce, not the big plant agenda that's going around at the moment. 
Sure, have plants in your diet, have a varied diet, have an omnivore diet. But if you're focusing on protein, make it animal protein. That's where the nutrient density is. And Michelle really lays it all out so well in her book. I've put a link to her book in the show description. So if you want a quick link to Amazon, it's just there. Go follow her on, on all the social medias that she mentioned. Uh, she really does highlight things how they're meant to be. And coming from a dietitian's background as well. So it's really nice to hear her talk. and Great that she's found the right path to help her along the way. If you're still out there struggling, listening to all this, thinking, yes, but where do I start and what do I do and how do I bring it into my own life, into my own nutrition? What do I need as those smarter choices? Then just be in touch. Go to the website, www.humannutritionlifestyle.com. All the links to our social media is on there. You can email me direct from there and just be in touch. If you need any help at all, get in touch. Until then, be strong, be healthy, be happy and thrive.